You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Interstate Batteries has been a proud supporter of the Sportsman's Nation since day one. With over 200,000 locations throughout the U.S. and offering 12,000 different types of batteries, stop into your local Interstate Battery store today and let them help you find the right batteries for your everyday life. Hey guys, welcome to Land and Legacy Podcast. This is your host, Adam Keith. We're co-owners of a consulting company called, go figure, Land and Legacy. This is your number one podcast resource for all things land. Each week we're breaking down topics from land management, habitat management, conservation, farming practices, and real estate. We hope you guys enjoy it. Well, I hope everybody is just as excited as I am today for Mr. Justin Adams, returning guest from Pure Air Natives, to be back on the podcast with us. Justin, are you there? I'm here. What's going on, everybody? Uh, what's going on, Matt? How you doing? I am well, man. I'm doing good. Just came off the 4th of July weekend and... Uh, preparing for an awesome podcast here with you we've had we've had some really good ones in the past uh, i think the last time you were on here we were actually in your pickup um out of the cold wind we were doing, doing basically a pollinator planting <laughs> that's in, right, that's right. in webster county or douglas county and uh we were recording your pickup because it was so cold in january they're like dude this is i ain't doing it and now it's 90 degrees today Right, it's, it's it's quite a quite a bit different than it was that day, and we were actually getting a, a some native planting done that day. So while the while the cedar was out working, we were uh, having a podcast. I think we made a few people jealous. That's right, that's right. Well, and and honestly, that that podcast and that film has really done some good things. <laughs> you had a little yeah. phone ring. <laughs> yeah, um, you know, here in the office. You, and, you uh, know, there's there's gonna be office noise. We we don't care. This is real life conversations. Um, so you know, that podcast though in the film has done really well from a an understanding of pollinator planting just in general because you know those terms get thrown out there and a lot of times it's hard for people to 
just get an understanding of what that looks like. Be able to visualize what a pollinator planting is, the process that you have to go through. A lot of times, you know, people could think that oh, it's cumbersome. There's a lot of steps. You know, I just don't want to do that. What does it look sure. like? How do I maintain it? But we broke it down, and we got we got a lot of feedback. I think you guys did as well from, you know, just, just general interest of, of what that is. Um, and, and that's why, you know, following up today's, uh, with today's podcast from a couple weeks ago um, and that podcast we were just talking about, I think it's really well-timed for the fact that um, a couple weeks ago we talked about on the For Love of the Land podcast ways to incorporate the family into the farm. And what we talked about was doing just some general native landscaping in and around cabins. And that's led on to other conversations with you and with Adam and everything. Um, but the, the, the meat of this podcast is we don't have to start necessarily at the scale of what Matt Miles was doing in January when we last recorded the podcast. You know, that was a several acre planting. You know, we can scale back and get started with something new in even a yard setting. And that, you know, it, it may sound silly when we're talking about, you know, getting the family to the farm with, with pretty flowers and things like that. But the reason we made that suggestion is because we know it works. Like we, we've heard stories, we've Absolutely. talked about it. And, and you yourself um, have done these landscape style flower gardens and things like that. And you're seeing and reaping the rewards of it in your own backyard right now. So, Again, this is this podcast is to say, hey, you don't have to get started on a large scale. Just get started, learn from it, and see where it goes. So, Justin, tell us a little bit about what you've done in your yard and this, this, oh gosh, mentality of starting from a landscaped small portion, connecting dots from a pollinator standpoint versus these larger scale projects and the importance that these play into migration patterns, things like that. Sure. Okay. So, so you're, you're exactly right. I mean, uh, typically what we talk about is planting in acres, right? I mean, that's, um, that's, that's kind of the, the, the reason, uh, we're, we're working with all these cost share programs is we're trying to plant, uh, in, in acreages, but that can be very daunting. I mean, you're talking about, um, prepping the ground first. You're talking about a couple of sprays and doing things and you might have to have equipment and you may have to rent equipment. You may have to hire somebody to do some of this stuff. So it can be very daunting when you're talking about acreages and some people just don't have acreages, but changing and making positive impacts on the environment doesn't have to start at the large scale like that. We can do stuff in our backyards and our front yards and our flower beds. Um, and, and that's what you and I kind of talked about a little bit the other day. And so uh, what I did uh, in my backyard last year, which is oh, probably uh, a roughly about 30 feet by 20 feet square, uh, not a very big area, but we had a vegetable garden there in the past. And uh, the vegetable garden hadn't done well because it's right next to a very large red oak and, and mm -hmm. some other large mature trees in the neighborhood. So I decided to go ahead and plant this area of natives. And um, we, I, I, I got some seed from work as well as some live plants. And I just went in and threw in about eight or 10 species that do well and a little bit of a savanna, um, some shaded areas. Um, and and I, I picked some savanna type species mostly because, you know, we've got the, the large trees around. So it's not full sun uh, year, uh, uh, constantly throughout the day. Sure. And uh, not that it was necessarily a savanna 
um, matrix, you know, years and years before the subdivision was put in. But, uh, and I chose some things for the aesthetics, obviously, and different heights and things like that. But um, put some live plugs in. And now I've got this uh, backyard that right now is, is, this section looks completely yellow. Uh, it's full of, uh, it's full of um, some compass plant and some gray-headed coneflower right now. Beautiful. Earlier this year, we had uh, some columbine blooming and some uh, some um, shining blue, uh, blazing star. We have got some New England aster in there. Um, I've got some prairie blazing star in there. Let's see. I've got a few other. I've got some sedges in there as well, and probably a few other things. I've got some landscape coreopsis that's in bloom right now as well. So um, I've got a mix of some different things in there that I just thought would be uh, a nice fit for this particular planting area and, and uh, bring in some pollinators and some aesthetics and things like that. And I think all in all, all this took maybe um maybe six to eight hours of of um full from from the prep work to the planting to getting everything in um you know it didn't take a lot and with a little bit of patience i was able to develop something and now i've got four and five foot tall species growing in the backyard in fact i was out there uh, over the fourth of july weekend taking some photos and i've got a, uh, a slow-mo video of a big fat bumblebee just covered in pollen bouncing around off the, the cone flowers. And mm. that's pretty neat to see last year when the new England aster was in bloom, I had three or four monarchs um, at the same time bouncing around in the backyard. Um, you know, I've had, I've had deer in the backyard in my subdivision. That's, that's pretty, I would say pretty rare sure. um, to see deer in the subdivision, but I have deer in my backyard eating some of that stuff. So, um, it, it, it's, it's pretty neat to see an area come to life that previously just had nothing there. There was no activity. There's nothing going on. Now I've got, I've got hummingbirds coming into some of the columbine. Um, you know, it, it was a, it was a pretty interesting, um, thing to witness with a little bit of patience to see this area. That's not a very big area. You know, that's, that's, um, uh, you know, it's relatively small to yeah. see it come to life like that. It's 600 square foot. Would that be, that's 20 by 30. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, and, it, and it may not even be that big. Right. But yeah. But it's like, you know, that that's there's a lot to unpack there in, in, in what you just described. But the first thing I think is, right, who doesn't have 600 square foot of a yard to be able to do something like this? So it's it's highly, well, and, you know, repeatable. Not, not to cut you off, but right, exactly. Not, and not to cut you off, but I've got a flower bed out front that, um, that had some, uh, I think, Shoot, I don't, I don't even remember what was there, but it's been gone for a few years now. And I, by flower bed, I mean literally two foot by three foot square footage space. I mm -hmm, mean, mm -hmm. you know, a very, very small amount. And I've got some wild bergamot growing right there yeah. and blooming right now in my front yard in this little, little bitty spot. And I've got a few other natives in there that haven't bloomed yet, that haven't grown, but I've got some, some wild bergamot that I just really kind of threw out to see if anything, it's, it's kind of a... It gets morning sun and that's it. So the majority of the day, it's in the shade. It's on the northeast corner of my house. Right. So, you know, most of the day it's in the shade. And uh, but here I've got, you know, two foot tall uh, wild bergamot growing bee balm growing right there in the front yard. So you don't even have to have the 600 square foot. If you've got literally a, a spot the size of a, a table or a nightstand, you know, we, we've got species that will grow in containers so that you can sure. keep them on your deck if you like um we don't have to create these big 
large scale areas in order to make an impact and to provide for pollinators and to provide for wildlife, you can make something come to life in a very small area that will, even though you think it's small, if you can do that and the neighbor down the street can do that, all of a sudden you're connecting these habitats together and, and creating, um, you know, if you look about it, look at it like in the deer hunting world, how you're trying to cre- create these uh, funnels and these, these pathways for these deer to connect large scale habitats. You know, this is essentially what you're doing, but you're doing it for insects and pollinators and some of the birds and uh, small, small animals. You can do that through connecting these yards in these small square footage spaces. Uh, that it's it's sometimes hard, I think, for us to honestly put ourselves in the shoes of, let's say, pollinators. Some of them travel incredible distances, but others that's right don't, and and, and others don't have the ability to travel these long intervals um, without stopping and without having um, pollinators present to be able to. Um, rest and feed and pollinate and do what they do. So, so it's important for us to think outside of the box of okay, the let's say the landscape level and go to like the yard property level of things. And say I can connect the dots um, much much easier on the smaller scale because the scale that I'm trying to replicate is small for these pollinators and and. That's why what we're talking about today is is very applicable. It doesn't have to be 600 square foot, but it can be if you have the ability sure. to do that. But it can be smaller, though, too, and it will play an important role. And that's the thing. You just need to get started in this because, you know, we, we talked about it before we started recording, um, Justin, but it was basically this podcast, guys, if you don't share this with your wife – you're missing out on some brownie points because this originated <laughs> with the fact that we can we can bring the family out to the farm. Well, imagine if this if this small scale um, test in your yard is su- successful. Well, of course your family's going to enjoy it. They're going to like it, and then that's that's just a, a way for you to leverage um, additional um, time spent at the farm. And say, hey, I want to replicate this and make this instead of just a flower bed on the side of the house, honey. Let's make this an acre. Let's make this five acres at the farm. And what we're seeing here from the response of pollinators is going to be incredibly exponential out there on the farm. And I want you guys to be a part of it. I want to see you guys out there. Um, I want you guys to see the transformation of the land. It's going to help the land itself. It's going to help us as a family. This is just a stepping stone. And it's a great way to do that, though, because, again, it is important. And it does make a difference right. on the scale at which we're talking about. And, you know, Justin, you're, you're very familiar with quail habitat. But when we look at, you know, Covey headquarters, and I think we talked about it the other week uh, when we talked shrubs on the podcast. But most of the, the Covey headquarters that you're creating with shrubs and brush, you know, they're about 1,500 square foot is about the appropriate uh, size. And they're distributed, right. several of them, um, you know, within a five-acre spot. When you think of the scale of a quail versus the scale of, of let's say, the home range, not necessarily a core area, but home range of a deer, you're talking about a square mile, core area, um, 40, 40 acres for a deer, but then the quail, they're much smaller because they're a smaller right. animal. But now we're going right. down to pollinators. Guys, this works. This works. Right, significantly different, right? So, like, the... The mason bee and the leafcutter bee, for example. Well, well, first off, I should say 
there are what over over oh, four thousand species 4, of native bees in yes. the United States. Yes, something like seventy percent of those are um, are non colony, uh, non you know they're they're individual solitary species. They nest in the ground, mm-hmm. um, and and like a, a leaf cutter bee and a mason bee, their their range is three hundred feet. Right. They don't travel further than three hundred feet. Where the honeybee, uh, you know, non native bee, is going to travel five miles. Mm-hmm. These particular bees, these leafcutters and masons and several other species are only going to go a few hundred feet, you know, maybe a little bit beyond that, depending on the species and things like that. But they're very, very much, um, uh, uh, they have a very tight home range. And without habitat inside of those couple hundred feet, those species can't exist. And you might think, well, what's the big deal? The big deal is that there are native species of birds and, and insects and um, other species of animals out there, wildlife that feed on those types of native pollinators as well. So, without without the the pollen, without the flowers, without the habitat, those native bees can't exist. Those mm-hmm. native pollinators can't exist. But without them as a food source, some of these songbirds can't exist in these particular areas. So, doing something on a very small scale, which is reasonable, which is a, it's a good test area. It's something that you can do pretty simply will actually make benefits to the uh, to the wildlife in, in that particular area. And if you can connect a couple of neighbors or a couple of friends together, all of a sudden you start building back a population that maybe was non-existent to begin with. So, Absolutely. you know, the, as those, as those uh, pollinators kind of expand their area and they find some of these new uh, sources for food, they're going to expand their home range and they're going to populate the area with more species. So, um, if you're yeah, that it's, house, it's very much. I, I feel like if you're that house in the street who's got something blooming from, let's say May all the way to September, your house is going to stand out on that street. People are going to ask you, "Hey, what are you doing? Like, what, what is, what sure. is this? Like, what, what's going on?" It's a conversation starter one, but two, that's just the segue for you to say, "Hey." I can help you get started on yours or we right. we can, we can now connect and you're, Oh, you're two houses down. Well, do you have a neighbor? You know, maybe they're three or four houses down. Now we've, we've stretched out this whole long street, a quarter and mile and that's, wide. That place, you know, a that's a, that's a good point. That's a good point there. And I do want to say that the two, if you're going to plant on a small scale, do it in a very deliberate way so that your neighbors can see that. Um, because one thing that a lot of people will agree with, especially people that are, not so educated on the topic is when a native starts growing, most of the time it looks like a weed, right? It doesn't, you don't realize it's a wildflower until it blooms, unless Uh you know exactly what you're looking at. So if you were to just, let's say, plant an area in your yard, your front yard, especially without some sort of deliberate uh, looking landscaping around it, maybe some rocks, maybe just maybe you separate an area and put a little divider between your turf grass and what's there. People are going to think you're just letting your lawn go and then it looks <laughs> yeah. ridiculous. So yeah. I will say that when you plant on a small scale, be deliberate about it, not just, you know, throw an area out there and see what happens. Because when people see that it was a deliberate planting, they're going to want to know why you did that. And then when it blooms, they're going to see why you did that. And then they're going to ask you why you did that, where you got that from, how they can do it themselves. So um, it really turns out to be something pretty neat when it's when it's deliberately done. So. I will urge people that, that you don't just want to let something go or just throw some seed out in an area kind of randomly because 
you will get a lot of looks from your neighbors if it's not a deliberate planting. Sure, sure. And even, you know, a little bit of signage like wildflower planting, you know, something that people driving by, they just got oh aha moment that that's what's happening. That's what's going on. And like I said, right. there's a lot of noise out there. There's a lot of buzz out there about pollinators, about um, wildflowers, about restoration, about conservation. I think that doing these smaller scale projects in unique areas like this, not not a privately owned farm that's 300 acres that's remote and secluded, something that someone can see, something that they can watch develop, I think that has a large, large impact, not only from an ecological standpoint, but more importantly, I shouldn't say more importantly, but still very right. importantly, a cultural aspect. How many, it's, it's like a billboard, basically. When, when mm-hmm. you're driving down the street, and you see something, an advertisement on a billboard, you're like, oh, I wonder what that is. That's cool. I might look at that later on. Interesting. Same thing right. here. This is interesting. This is different. This is new. This sticks out. This is beautiful. What is that? I need to stop and ask. Whereas that farm, and you've got this five-acre meadow tucked back in the middle of nowhere, they might see pictures on Facebook, say, oh, that's cool. But this is for not only you to enjoy, your family to enjoy, pollinators to um, you know, pollinate with, but this is for other people to enjoy and learn and develop that cultural aspect of, hey, he's making a difference with conservation, even on a small scale. If he can do that in his yard, why can't I? Why can't I do that? Right. And, and you know what? Actually, um, I want to – maybe you can put this in the, in the show notes or you can put sure. a link along with this uh, podcast. But I'm going to send you some photos of my – backyard Love to see of, of what i've of what i planted there and, and uh trevor who's one of our uh, seed experts here and his backyard and what he's recently done and you can see that these aren't big areas these aren't um anything crazy we, it's, it's not like we have we're not using some crazy expensive uh, uh seed you know to to create these backyard landscapes we're taking seed packs that we literally hand out to people at shows i mean you guys have you yeah. guys have seen our seed packs you've been oh, yeah. handing them out as well you know, we're talking about a few dollars worth of seed to create a very deliberate area that's going to bloom, that's going to look beautiful. This isn't, um, you know, I don't want anybody out there listening to think, well, it's easy for him to do because he's got access to all this stuff and he's probably got all this beautiful, you know, he could just grab something from work. You know, this is stuff that, that is really, really inexpensive when it comes to doing it on a scale like this. Sure. Um, you're talking about, uh, you know, a really just a few dollars if not you know 20 or 30 dollars to be able to do something like this and and create a a very neat aesthetically um pleasing yet still very beneficial for the wildlife and for the environment right there in your own backyard and and you know we can get into the bloom times and the colors and the heights and all these different types of things that can really put together something specific for your area but I mean, it's it's really as simple as doing it. If you want to, we right. can jump into the actual, uh, the how. And, and I think that would uh, be good. Specifics. Yeah, you know, I, I think what what would be important is to say, okay, hopefully there's some there's you know some people out there listening, like, okay, that sounds encouraging. I kind of want to do that. Uh, I didn't know I could make that impact. So let's take them from yard, um, typical sod, grass, sure. fescue, tall fescue yard into developing an area for natives. What's that process okay. like? What's that step process? So the most important thing that you need to do to start off the right way is you need to eliminate the competition. Whatever is existing that's growing there right now, you need to find a way to, uh, to, to kill that off. And, and that can be through herbicide applications. 
or that can be through on these small scale projects. When it's hot out, you can throw a tarp down. You can throw, you know, anytime you leave that uh, that little kitty swimming pool out in the yard in one spot <laughs> during the summer for too long and you move it, the grass is dead in that area, you killed it. You can do that uh, if you don't want to get into the herbicide stuff with some type of tarp, a big piece of rubber, you know, throw down a, uh, um, you know, welcome mat if, if it's that size of an area. So, but you have to kill off the existing vegetation. And the reason for that is these turf grasses are designed for specific times of the year of growth and during those times above ground growth i should say and during those times native species are putting on a root system so what happens is they tend to outcompete the native plants because their above ground is a little bit slower growing than these turf grass species and essentially if you don't kill off the, the turf grass or the existing species it's going to eventually outcompete and then take over and you're not going to have anything native growing there. So you need to give your natives a fighting chance. And that starts with some sort of, you know, herbicide application or, again, smothering and killing the existing species that are there. So once you've got that killed off, then depending on the time of year, if you're planting with seed, you want to plant sometime in the dormant season. So that would be any time really in the Midwest, say November through, uh, you can get into let's say November through the end of March. That's a good rule of thumb. Yep. Um, so typically most of the, the majority of the seeding is done in that January and February timeframe, which is perfect. You get it planted then that's great. And specifically by planting, when you're doing it with seed, if you have uh, bare dirt, you can leave the existing dead vegetation there. So long as you can get that seed to soil contact. So I think everybody that's listening is pretty familiar with these, this terminology. Sure. The seed and soil contact is essentially getting that seed all the way down to the soil, but you do not want to bury it. This is native seeds are extremely small. Most of them are extremely small, very, very tiny seeds. And you want to plant, they need to be planted at a depth no deeper than an eighth of an inch. So you're talking about a very small area. You can essentially step on it. You can lightly pack it with your hand um depending on the size of the area you're planting um you know you can you can scratch it very 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 lightly with a rake anything like that but once you have this area planted you just water it and and water it once or maybe twice you don't have to use a lot of water but what we're going to do with the seed broadcasted on the ground is watering it will actually draw the seed to the soil and make sure that it ensures contact with the soil after that, you just stand back and let it take over and let it do its job. Now, it's going to take a little bit of uh, time to germinate and to grow, but that's what you're doing. You're essentially sprinkling seed onto the dirt, like I'm sure people have seen <laughs> millions of times, yeah. and putting a little bit of water on it so that it draws the seed to the soil, and that's it. That Then you're you're planting. Now, the you, you alternative to that— You make it sound so simple. It, you know what? <laughs> it, it, and it, it is, It really though. kind of is. I mean, Mother Nature's yeah. been doing this for— thousands of years so you know there's you there's know, no trick to it there's there's no big equipment there's no nothing right. you don't have to if you're if you're anti-herbicide don't want to use it you don't have to there's ways to be able to still make this thing applicable um bring the family out there have the kids seed it water it in now now let's say let's say justin um you've got a new, a new landowner and they're they put up a house and they want to incorporate this and they're not going to saw it a portion of their, or they're not going to seed grass, and, and it's just bare ground. Once you've planted that seed and kind of watered it in a little bit, 
Would you go back in and recommend throwing some straw down over top of it, kind of covering it, um, just to kind of help nurse it along and protect that seed and that ground a little bit? Or is that even necessary? Yes, um, that is a very good question. And and in all honesty, I know this is kind of a non-answer, but it really depends on the planting site. Now, in the specific example you gave, I would definitely put something in to help suppress the annual weeds that are going to sprout up no matter what. Yeah. So um, in, in that in that specific example, yes, you definitely either want a nurse crop or a cover crop or some sort of weed barrier, straw mat, whatever you can put down. But if it was an existing vegetation and somebody sprayed it, if you got two applications of herbicide on it, chances are most of that, most of those species that are, that were growing are going to be fairly controlled and you won't need any type of, cover crop, nurse crop, straw mat, anything like that down. But in a, in a situation, like you said, the guy comes in and bulldozes and builds a house and then wants to plant natives, something's going to grow there because he Absolutely. hasn't killed off the existing species. He's just removed the above ground growth. Yep. And and the, the seed bank will explode, so you definitely want something there. Um, if you're talking about a flower bed or a garden, it may not hurt to, to go ahead and um, you know put some straw down or something like that. It, it's not going to have a big effect unless you didn't control the existing vegetation prior to planting. Mm-hmm. And I would so, stay away I mean, from, I would, I would recommend and confirm this, but stay away from mulching that area, putting heavy cover over top of it, that that native is going to have a tough time pushing up and through versus a, right. a straw mat that's super light, but still protective. Right. So what I've actually done in my, in my planting is um, I actually, I, I seeded it. I, I put in live plugs last spring, last actually summer, last summer. So that's another way to, to plant. So if it's this time of year and you've kind of uh, controlled the existing vegetation and now you want to come in and plant something, you can buy live plugs. We have, we have uh, trays of live plants mm-hmm. and you can buy those, plant those in the ground and, and you've already got some, uh, a little bit of an established root there and you've got some above ground growth. So you'll, in some cases, you may even be able to see some blooms this year. I was able to with my new England aster last year, but uh, beyond that, you come in and put some seed down. I went in and put in some straw over the top of this area during, I actually burned the area off uh, this past winter. So uh, dropped a match on a, a small 600 square foot area. It was basically like a, a quick little barbecue yeah. and uh, it was done and over with. And so I went ahead and put out some straw this year as the species started to grow and they got about a foot tall. Then I came in and put down a little bit of mulch to kind of clean the area up a little bit, but I waited for that vegetation to get above ground before I put out any mulch. And again, it was a very thin layer um, specifically so that it doesn't suppress any of the, perennial wildflowers that I want growing in the, in the area. So um, I would advise against mulch in the beginning, just because these species really need as much help as they can get putting anything heavy on top of them, you know, can uh, kind of suppress that interfere with that growth. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Definitely stunt it. Yeah. So just be careful about that. Straw would be better than, than mulch in the beginning. Now, as your plants get established and they get a little bit mature, you know, if you want to put something down to, be very deliberate about when you put down mulch and where. That's Certainly. all. So, yeah, I mean, it, it can be done that simply. I mean, again, I, I took home some, uh, bought some live plants from Pure Air Natives and took them in my backyard, dug some holes, dropped them in, 
And when I use live plugs, I went ahead and watered the area every other day for about a week, maybe two weeks if it was really, really dry. Sure. But once these species get a get an active root growing into the soil that they're planted in, not necessarily the containers that they're in, but when I actually transplanted them into the ground in my yard, I wanted to make sure that there was water available for these roots to start growing mm-hmm. into the soil that they were planted in. Once they... Once I knew that we had done that and established that growth, then I totally backed off the watering entirely, and I, I haven't watered it since. Wow. So, and, and so that's, that's the other thing, too. You know, numbers, it doesn't quite make sense of sometimes how much you may be spending on, um, like, you know, landscaping, mowing, and things like that, but... Um, if you utilize this from a low maintenance aspect and you plant it, you water it in and you walk away, maybe you do a little bit of weeding. Um, once you recognize what weeds are up and what weeds are, you know, good weeds that you've actually planted, um, that are going to bloom and be a part of the planting. After that, Justin, I mean, it's pretty much walk away and let it happen. Um, so if you're paying a landscaper to come in and do a lot of this stuff, um, maintain square footage of your yard. This can help offset the cost of that if you do a larger area. Sure. And not just, yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot of costs involved in there. But, I mean, anybody that's put in a food plot that's done any type of work on that, you know that your, your soil pH has to be a right, you know, has to be balanced in the right way so that the plants can actually utilize any fertilizer that goes in. Nobody takes soil samples of their front yard. Right. or their backyard or their turf, and, and but people will throw down fertilizer and and just uh, kind of throw it out there. So whatever the plants aren't soaking up, the fertilizer's running off into the, you know, into the wastewater systems and, you know, that flows down into the sewers and goes out into the streams and creeks and everywhere else. And, you know, that's, that's part of the reason why there's such massive algae blooms mm-hmm. in and around the state of Florida, because you get all these these lawns that are being fertilized and it in Florida's, you know, the elevation of the entire state, I think is 10 feet, not to offend anybody in Florida, but <laughs> you guys are pretty, you got some wet feet down there. Yeah, no doubt. That's all I'm saying. And, and, and this, this, uh, this, you know, American obsession with, uh, with turf grass is, is amazing yes, to, is. to see what we're actually putting into it and uh, the things that we're willing to do and, and, and then knowing the benefits of it. So, it's kind of a it's kind of a wild phenomenon. I, I like to uh, explore that a little bit. But regardless, you're you're saving some money, you're saving some costs, you're putting in something that's beneficial. And again, uh, you know, I went I went to a talk. I think I told you this, Matt, but I went to a talk recently at the uh, the annual pollinator dinner at the St. Louis Zoo, and uh, and the keynote was about connecting habitats in a small way that can be really beneficial. And and specifically, they were talking about how to take these backyards and take this, you know, 30 square feet, 50 square feet, 120 square feet, whatever you have available, don't do your entire backyard. You don't need to do that to help make, you know, beneficial impacts like that. You can do these small areas, and if your neighbor can do one, and then the next neighbor and the neighbor, you're you're literally connecting an entire block, an entire street Mm -hmm. of these tiny little habitats. Now, if you think about it like that, 
it's something that's very reasonable and and can really get everybody involved in doing something that's really turns out to be pretty fun and kind of cool. So that's right. um, rather than going out and saying, well, I don't have 50 acres, or maybe you have 50 acres, but you only have three or four acres and you don't want to devote that entirely to, you know, the, the cost and the, the equipment and the, you know, commitment and the everything that's involved with maybe planting a prairie might seem a little daunting. So, so let's test out this little area. Let's do something here. And, and we're happy to help with that. We can provide, you know, seed packs um, all the way down to, if you, if you come to one of the shows, you'll probably get one or two or five for free, but uh, you know, <laughs> you can buy them from us for, Right, right. Uh, but, you know, if you want to, if anybody out there wants to buy them, you know, mm-hmm. we'll sell them for starting at a dollar a piece. And, you know, that plants 10 to 15 square feet. So we're talking three foot by five foot of an area can be planted with one seed pack. So you can get started just about anywhere. And it's really easy to do. We've talked about that. And with a little bit of patience, you know, you can really have something developed that you weren't expecting, I think. And that's what I want to stress with this. And, and I think, honestly, this is a, uh, a principle that um, is applicable not only to native planting, but just habitat restoration, conservation in general, is you have to get started. Don't worry right. about comparing yourselves to other projects that you've seen out there. Maybe it's a neighbor. Maybe um, you saw it on Facebook. Maybe you saw it on, on Instagram that, oh, this guy's – He's, he's cutting uh, 10 acres or, or 50 acres of TSI. Well, I've only got one that I want to tackle this year. Well, guess what? Tackle that one acre. Go after it. Go do it. I've only got 30 square foot of a uh, pollinator planting in my yard that I want to do. Well, guess what? Start with the 30 foot. See what happens. Learn from it. Make the observations, and then when you can take that next step into expanding or doing larger areas down the road, you have the knowledge to be able to apply from what you learned and where you started from to that next bigger project. Again, this is just an illustration that we can use from the native planning in a land, in a yard standpoint um, and then carrying over to a farm. And, and it, it's just so applicable to many other things just in life, but the most important thing is take that first step and get started. And this first step is improving the environment, extremely beautiful, and very cheap and very low like labor into it. It's super easy to do. So I don't it, know why it really doing. is. I mean, it, right? I mean, I, it's. I, I, I'm looking at my backyard now, and I'm as as much as I knew this was going to happen. I'm still amazed at what's going on in the backyard and so much so that i'm looking at other areas in my backyard and trying to figure out how i can incorporate maybe some some taller grasses for a little bit of screening rather than buying uh, a privacy fence so when we have a a chain link fence around our house it goes you know house to do these days but a chain link fence around the backyard but now i'm thinking rather than putting up a six-foot privacy fence getting the white vinyl ones or you know wooden uh, picket privacy fence i'm thinking why don't i come in there with some taller grasses and plant you know, a three foot or a four foot area off the fence and do some native screening around there and have a native uh, fence line in there. And then against that fence line, plant some other natives, some wildflowers that'll bloom against that. So um, really, I, I really don't enjoy cutting grass. It's, uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I've got, I've got some allergies when it comes to fresh cut grass. So yeah. it really, since, since a young age, it has always bothered me and aggravated me. And, uh, 
And recently I was out there looking at it and thinking, wow, this, this turned out so well. Where can I start incorporating other areas in my yard where I can do some of this? And the benefit for me would be, hey, I've got less grass to actually mow. But, you, uh, you know, the benefit to the, the backyard is to kind of create a little bit of a backyard oasis, you know, to, um, you know, in these areas, in these times when I can't necessarily uh, run to a property and escape, you know, I, I can sit in the backyard and, you know, have a have a cold beverage and, you know, sit by a fire, but have all these native species around me and kind of feel like I'm, That's you know, at the farm. Or, or, yeah. Or, yeah, exactly. So um, I think if anybody tries something on a small scale, the, the key thing with it is to be patient. These species may not bloom the first year. Some of them don't bloom the first year, regardless of what you do. So you may, you may need to wait a year or two or, or two or three years before you get some of these species to bloom. But if you prep in the right way, eliminate the competition and get the seed planted or the, or the live plant planted at the right time, you're going to see results. Just be patient with it. And, uh, and then you'll be really happy the way it turned out. It's that simple. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I say document it, you know, take pictures of what it was before or after the whole process. Um, enjoy it. It's, it's a story to be told. Um, and then you, you learn more from, from making these observations and, and, you know, writing these steps down for, for later projects. But again, you just, you just got to get started. And I think, I think you'll probably surprise yourself just like Justin has of, okay, that was very successful. I really like what's going on here. What what area is next? And it's just going to grow and compound itself over time. Um, I I think positive changes are addicting. And it's like how do I how do I replicate this? Where do I take this next? To what scale do I take this next? So that's why it's important just to go ahead and get started. And and especially if you're in any type of um, let's say subdivision suburban area. Um, I, I think that you guys would be surprised at the number of questions that you're going to get about it and other folks who are most likely pretty open-minded and would want to have something like that then too. So it's not only um, a learning moment for you, but then it quickly can likely become a teaching moment um, that you can help other people establish too. So I, I'm I'm excited to hear some responses from you guys of what you think about uh, just getting started in something like this. But Justin, I want to give you a second to be able to uh, to share how they can get in touch with you guys at Pure Air. Um, you know, if, if they have questions about seeding, about seed itself, what to seed. Um, say if they want, you know, blooming late spring and then again mid something like, you know, how to develop some of these um, the, these basically little packets to be able to, to do on a landscape scene. Um, sure. how, how can they best get in touch with you guys? So the best way to reach out to us is uh, to shoot us an email or give us a phone call, whichever you prefer. Um, typically, uh, an email, we can get a little bit more information. we got to ask you a couple of questions. So maybe you can put that in the email. But reach out to us at sales at pureairnatives.com, S-A-L-E-S at pureairnatives.com and uh, myself, Betsy, Trevor, one of us will speak with you, ask you a few questions about what state you're in, uh, what your specific goals are for planting and, and kind of how big of an area do we know are you trying to plant. And from there, we can start putting together some some um, preliminary mixes, I guess, um, a little bit of consulting, so to speak, and uh, kind of help pick out exactly what it is you're looking for. 
and then we can go through the rest of that as you know the, the ordering process if you decide you like what that is and again we can get into you know things that are um you know good for planting in containers you know sure. for example keep it on your deck you know you want something like a butterfly milkweed is a good one for that you know a columbine things that aren't going to grow very deep root systems and aren't going to be very tall so you can have something on the deck so uh, all different types of planting styles and um and also we can help you with the you know the seeding process if you need information on that or um any of the uh, stewardship afterwards there is a little bit of stewardship afterwards um typically on the large scale projects but on your small uh, garden areas you don't have to do anything um, really I would say the only thing you really need to do is every four to five years, you want to, you know, cut it all the way down or potentially burn it if you've got the opportunity to burn that. Um, but that's it. I mean, you, you just kind of want to start fresh to, to, to keep everything going in the right direction, but um, that's it. So, but we can, we can help out with any of that, the questions or, um, you know, anything specific about species themselves. Absolutely. That's fantastic. Yeah, the other way, I'm sorry, I forgot the phone number in there. Let me oh, throw yeah. that in there. That's so you, you can also reach us at uh, 636-357-6433. Again, that's 636-357-6433. And I want to tell you, Matt, that um, we are working on some cool things for you guys, for the Land and Legacy podcast listeners and, and all the Land and Legacy followers out there. So um, I can't get into too much detail right now, but in the very near future, we're going to have uh, some cool things available for everybody listening. So, um, awesome. and, and then also I think for this, um, this, this, uh, we're going to call it a native landscape, um, potential customer. So somebody who's, who's only wanting to plant 200 square feet or 70 square feet or whatever it is, some, some type of flower bed or garden area, we're going to have some cool stuff available for those folks as well. So, Fantastic. um, yeah, let, we'll we'll put together something in the in the future that we can kind of launch and and, uh, and and let everybody know. But uh, just just keep an eye out to, for uh, for that announcement with uh, Land and Legacy soon. Awesome. Well, Justin, certainly appreciate it. Um, appreciate your expertise and and you for sharing your personal experiences uh, with doing this various uh, project here. So I think it's definitely insightful for people um, to have that firsthand experience talking to. Uh, talking to you and knowing, hey, you know what, it's going to make an impact, it's going to be big, it's going to it's going to make a change. And uh, that's what we all want to see in the name of conservation. So certainly appreciate your time, sir. Absolutely. Happy to be here, and uh, thanks for having me. And everybody listening, don't forget to check the uh, show notes or wherever Matt decides to put them, but you have the some, some real-world photos of, of these uh, backyards that we've planted ourselves. Absolutely. Well, Justin, appreciate it, sir. Yes, sir. Thanks for your time. You bet. Well, guys, that's super exciting. Awesome podcast there with Justin. I really enjoyed that. Um, you know, just just again, just to reiterate, we, we talk all the time about practices and methods and techniques and things like that um, on this podcast. But, you know, when it comes down to it, we just got to implement. We just got to get out there and start doing these things. And uh, it's easy to get caught up on the scale at which you want to start or the big impact that you want to make. Well, Here's the the simple thing. If we talk about it, yeah, we'll make a, a little bit of an impact. But if we actually do it, we're going to make that much larger of an impact because we're going to show people how to do it. We're going to teach them. And so 
that's why it's important, even just on a yard, a landscape um, standpoint in your neighborhood, you can make a difference and you can begin to have an impact on, on other people. And of course, the pollinators themselves and just the emphasis of native plantings. Um, obviously, if you're listening to this already um, or are still listening to this podcast, I should say, you understand that. You you get the impact that it makes and, and, and it has a has a an awesome, um, importance here ecologically. So, um, but we can, we can translate and, and have that impact ecologically, but culturally as well. And having these, um, pollinator plantings in the right places will definitely do that. So guys, hope this is encouraging for you. If you have questions, reach out to us at info at or to Pure Air Sales at pureair.com. Um, they'll be happy to help you out. A lot of great educated folks over there who um, just love spending time with people talking about natives and what you can do on your landscape and very specific um, plantings. You know, they're, they're a custom seed shop basically. So uh, if you got a unique area, um, semi shade, maybe wet they can develop something for you for that area. So um, like I said, reach out to them if you've got any questions, guys. But thank you so much for listening. We certainly encourage you to share this podcast with someone else who's in the same boat as you. Maybe it's your wife. Bring her into the podcast. Let her hear what it is, where your heart is, where where it is you want to make a difference, um, and how you want to bring the family into it. Um, you know that this goes a long way. So uh, maybe share it with someone down the, down your street that says, you know, hey, I want I want to do something like you're doing, or, or I've always I've always been wondering about that. How how do I get started in it? You know, share that podcast with them um, so they too can get started and have an impact, guys. It grows. It's a domino effect. And uh, that's what we need. We need more people out there on the landscape implementing the work. And uh, we'll, we'll see the changes that we're looking for. So, guys, thanks again. Appreciate it. Um, hope you have a great week. We'll catch you next week. Bye. Yeah. <laughs>